Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Asian Glow Up Podcast. I'm April, and today I have four special guests from Volca Table. If you haven't heard of them already, you've probably seen their dessert pictures on Instagram, which is actually how I heard of them. My best friend sent me a photo of one of your dessert boxes and was like, you have to order it. So I did. I don't know who dropped it off, but I remember, I think it was Sophia actually, but I remember meeting one of you guys. So after that, I was just really intrigued by your story and your mission. And I also saw that there's eight of you total, which is crazy. I have no idea how you guys plan all your desserts and plan everything out. So I'm really excited to have you guys on the podcast today. Ali, would you like to introduce yourself first and maybe share one of your favorite moments from working together and from this entire experience? Yeah, of course. Hi, I'm Ali. I was in Chicago for most of the baking, so I was really moral support, but I did get to help on one of the boxes and make 500 cookies. Tat and I were in her kitchen all day on our feet, and that was probably my only memory of baking, but just seeing how hard all of the other girls have worked was just very empowering. So hi, I'm Kelly. I have been a part of most of the boxes. The best part of all the boxes is being able to be done with it and um, <laughs> have a foot massage afterwards because, you know, dude, your back and your feet hurt a lot after standing and baking for that many hours. But in general, it's just really great to have sort of a creative outlet, especially with your friends. Like we are very similar in the way that well, our aesthetics for one, and we all are really detail oriented. We want to make sure that, you know, what we produce both tastes good and looks really pretty. And I think that's a really great way for us to kind of be creative in a way that we're not really able to in our nine to fives. I know for the most of us, we don't really have like creative jobs where we that have that kind of outlet. So for me, that's been definitely a blessing in disguise, despite all like the back pain and the foot pain <laughs> and all, all the baking. Hi, I'm Sophia. I'm based in Sunnyside, Queens. Great neighborhood. Remember, is just meeting everyone who either came to pick up desserts or people that we were dropping off desserts to, just like the friendly smiles on everyone's faces and like the look of joy about getting desserts and just being able to to meet people during the pandemic, I think was my favorite. Hi, I'm Tatiana. I'm based in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And I think it's hard to pick a favorite memory, but I would say the thing that sticks out the most to me would be the pop-up for all the good and the bad, a lot of the ugly. But I really felt like a culmination of everything we've been doing with the boxes and just being able to execute something like a pop-up where we are offering things in real time. And, you know, we learned a lot of new skills kind of on the fly just for that pop-up. But it'll definitely be memorable because it was probably 98 degrees that weekend in June. Yeah, there are so many logistics that you have to navigate through, especially weather permitting to do a lot of those desserts. And we try to plan as much as possible. We're all collectively really intense about planning. <laughs> Shout out to Google Docs. Control, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet. I actually wasn't able to make it to that pop-up, but Jackie did. And she was raving about it when she came home too. And that's when we were like, okay, we for sure need to reach out to them to get them on this podcast. Oh, <laughs> so nice. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Can you tell us a bit more about like, how do you guys all know each other? And how did this happen? You know, like, who brought the idea first? How did it evolve over the years? And is it what you expected? Or what are you looking forward to making from this? 
Yeah, I think we like to say that we were kind of founded, I guess, in October 2017. I think that was the year that all of us or seven out of eight of us graduated undergrad. And we kind of started, you know, when Allie was still in living in New York, she was living in a one bedroom apartment in Chelsea. We got together on a weekly basis and we were cooking dinner together really as a means to kind of learn how to cook, but still be creative and kind of try to, you know, save some money instead of going to some restaurants. We wanted to be um, a little fancier at home. And so we were really doing that on a weekly basis and occasionally kind of inviting some guests to join us. We would cook for them and maybe they contribute maybe a dessert or a, a drink or here or there. But we were really based doing a lot of like the meal prep stuff and, and weekly dinners. It wasn't until mid-2020 when the pandemic was really hitting that we kind of transitioned to doing desserts because early 2020, actually, we had some plans to kind of try to do cooking workshops and in-person workshops that would allow us to really connect deeper with the community. We had some more traction on our Instagram based on some of the food pictures that we were posting. And we were really excited about that. The weekend that we were planning on hosting our first workshop was the weekend that like everything shut down. It was like the complete shutdown of New York City and had to cancel that workshop. And we were like, okay, well, what do we do? And mid-2020, when, you know, with the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, I think we all kind of felt stuck in a way because we had goals of trying to reach out to our broader community in the beginning of the year. The pandemic hit there were so many other kind of issues that had surfaced and for us we really wanted to you know bring food to the community still so we had ideas to create some dessert boxes using asian ingredients or were kind of asian inspired being that we all eight of us are asian american females and we used that and we kind of said hey let's you know do desserts i know we were doing food before but we sold our first box as a fundraiser for equality for Flatbush. And we kind of did this on a monthly basis from there. There weren't really any plans per se to go forward and, and kind of do that, but mm -hmm. we enjoyed it a lot the first month. And I think it was, it felt really rewarding. And there were just, we kind of saw a broader vision for what it could look like for the rest of the year. And it was really some of the only chances that we got to hang out with each other, being that everyone was kind of quarantined and stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was a great opportunity for us to kind of like be on Zoom a lot just talking about the planning, but then like the days that we actually got together and after having baked in our own individual kitchens and came to do fulfillment and then delivery of the boxes, those were the days that we really got to hang out with each other during the pandemic. Yeah, I feel it because this podcast was also created during the pandemic or like in 2020. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we weren't in New York. The three of us were all at our individual hometowns. And, you know, our Zoom meetings, planning podcast stuff was basically like our way to come together and hang out, basically. But then also plan and try to do something productive. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. What was your original cooking workshop going to be before it got canceled? Do you remember? <laughs> we had a flyer and everything. And honestly, I still love the way that flyer was designed. It was for Vietnamese spring rolls. I think some people may know them as summer rolls, but it's the fresh, fresh rice paper wrap rolls. And yeah, so that was that was going to be our workshop, but that never happened. But we actually chose that because that was probably one of the dishes that we've made the most together as a group. It's very symbolic because it is really easy, but at the same time, it's so indulgent and satisfying. <laughs> I think every time we're like, oh, you know, I just need fresh vegetables. And we're like, well, should we make spring rolls? And it's 
never too difficult, but every time it's just so satisfying. Oh, I love that. Yeah, spring rolls is something that we like to make a lot too. I'm Chinese, but Jackie is Chinese Vietnamese. And she didn't really grow up making a lot of Vietnamese recipes, but in the last year that we've been living together, she has been, which I really appreciate. So she's been making like lemongrass fish or whatever. Ooh. And like, I'm like the taste Yummy. tester because I actually don't enjoy cooking that much. So I'm just here for the for the tastings. But yeah, I love, <laughs> love spring rolls. Before having kind of formalized BCT and doing these weekly dinners, I hadn't been exposed to a lot of Southeast Asian cuisine, especially like Vietnamese cuisine, because Kathy, who is one of our members of the group, she's big in kind of cooking a lot of Vietnamese foods. And she definitely introduced me to a lot of flavors. And now I'm a big lover of limes because of her. <laughs> <laughs> and fish sauce. And fish so sauce. Seriously, yeah. it's so true. When we started doing dinners, it was we were just sort of picking a theme every week. We do every Tuesday. And as we started doing them more regularly, it went from sort of random things to more cuisine focused around our Asian culture and things that we grew up with and that we wanted to start cooking ourselves. And so I think, and each of us are a different type of Asian. So we've <laughs> got, I've been exposed to a lot more different types of cuisines that, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up eating, but I've also gotten to share like things that I grew up with that my mom made for me as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like you guys just kind of came together to have these dinners and hang out as friends, but then it kind of evolved into something a little bit bigger than that. How did you guys like divvy up responsibilities between friends? Like what did that process look like? Before we like decided, okay, like we are going to do it. I feel like we kind of sat down and had to really think about, is this a direction that we want to go? Like, where are we going to go with it? Like, are, are we committing to it? What does this mean for our friendship? Because we're friends, most of all. And then I think beyond that conversation, we each kind of grew to appreciate our own strengths. And we, because we were such close friends, we could see the strengths of others. And so we created a network or like a bond where we were not like delegating tasks that we didn't want to do to others. It was very much a volunteer basis of like, I want to do this or I feel like I'm good at this and I want to help my friends out and I want to help us out as a group. So it was actually like really beautiful. We all just kind of seamlessly kind of got into our place of where we could bring and contribute to the table. Mm -hmm. No pun intended. <laughs> so what are some examples of like, what are you in charge of or like, what do you like doing? Me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I thought I liked Excel and it turns out that other people are better at Excel. Than <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess I'll just let that one go. I think I was generally a baker and I also tried to help with delivery logistics where I could. I think it was, gotcha. it was like an assistant manager role. Yeah, I think like for some of us, like our nine to fives kind of came into play when we we're divvying up responsibilities. Like for example, when we were coming up with the logo for BCT, I think Justine was really responsible for doing a lot of those design mock-ups because she's really great with, with digital art. And a lot of that design stuff, like for the flyer that Todd was talking about for that workshop that never happened, Justine was also in charge of doing that. And kind of me and my own nine to five, I do a lot of ops-based stuff. So working out the logistics of the day of doing like the fulfillment, it was, it's funny, like kind of like organizing, hey, this table and this room is going to do this. It's going to move to the next one where, you know, we then tie the cookies in this bunch and then they go in these spots on the box. And then, you know, we were kind of running through it like a, a supply chain, really. But <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, 
working with your friends is such a different feeling but like for bct a lot of the stuff that we're doing is like on a purely voluntary basis and we're doing it just because we're having fun because we're friends but in that there comes like a foundation of like oh i trust in my friend to do a good job where i know that this person is the best suited to execute this test so it's definitely a different dynamic yeah definitely so i have to ask what inspired the name polka table or like where did that name come from there was so much brainstorming that went into that. I think we had a vote for <laughs> which name we wanted around that time. We knew that we wanted the name to hint towards our collective Asian experience, but also at the same time, not try to be a blanket statement. Because again, we are all of different Asian backgrounds. And so we're not saying, okay, we've all had the same exact experience. Of course, that could not be true. But we do have... A fair amount of shared experiences and also together, you know, like we've experienced a lot of young adulthood together. And so we knew that thematically we wanted it to be Asian, but maybe a little bit subtle, you know, not like, I don't know. I don't want to say something embarrassing, so I'm not going to give some examples. Canceled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I got I to be careful. No, we want to hear what the alternatives were. <laughs> we do have it written on a paper somewhere. This was before we formalized any processes. So I don't actually think this is in our Google Drive. This is definitely on a crumpled piece of paper in somebody's closet. I don't know who's. <laughs> but we we were just rattling off just phrases that we liked. Like Something, for example, one of the phrases that really stuck with us was shoes off because it's really common for Asian people to take their shoes off in the home. And that is, of course, something that we all practice as well. But when you kind of think about that meaning, it's like, you know, you're you're going into someone's home as a guest and you want them to feel comfortable. And that in a way kind of speaks to that sort of hospitality that we want to bring when we're cooking for other people you know it's like you can take your shoes off you can feel super comfortable like we want you to feel like you're in your own home when you're eating with us so that, that was sort of the direction that we wanted to go in when it came to coming up with this name and honestly i f correct me if i'm wrong i feel like just seen as the one that had the phrase bowl cut and then kind of it was kind of as a joke and then we were like <laughs> wait could that be yeah because a lot of us when we were young had bowl cuts like the haircut as like yeah toddlers or babies or that type of thing and it's funny because we were just pulling up childhood photos of us and laughing at each other but that was just something that we found humor in and we ran with it and the more we started saying it we were like oh that could work <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I actually did not make that connection until our dinner Tot and Sophia mentioned it and we were just like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. That's cool. Yeah. Even for us, when we were coming up to names, it was so hard. We had a Google Drive situation where we just like listed off a bunch of things. And honestly, we're like, was this even the name that we should have landed on? But, you know, we're like 20 something episodes in. There's no going back now. Same with us. I think we've been like <laughs> quote, quoted in a couple of like news articles now. We're just like, there's really no going back. <laughs> you grow into the name too. I yeah. think like it's really become, we've really become bowl cut table as mm -hmm. you know, you've gone through this journey. And I kind of love how it's a sort of, if you know, you know, type of thing. <laughs> and, and I know that not everyone gets it immediately, but once we do, ex you know, take five seconds to explain it, they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Or there, there are those sort of double entendres because 
we there are also words that have to do with the kitchen. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I kind of like the multi-layered approach that we have with our name. <laughs> Maybe there's another hidden meeting that we don't know about yet. Yeah, with Asian Glow Up, I think we were just thinking of like Asian Glow at first. And then we were like glowing up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys caught that. but <laughs> I got it, what, I got it. We got it. <laughs> that's what we were going for. <laughs> I know, Kelly, you mentioned earlier how you were gaining some traction on Instagram. Like, how did that happen? Was there any particular, you know, things that you did to do that? You know, what did you see the most engagement from? How did you grow your Instagram? It's like a question. How did we grow our Instagram? Well, I think we started with, before we started doing the dessert boxes, we, during the pandemic, we tried to post more regularly what we were cooking at home. Mm, Um, And I think that, gave us a good platform and a good starting point so that when we did start selling our boxes, there were people who were already interested in what we were doing. I think following that, once the boxes started selling, the growth was natural when people would share it on their own Instagrams and other people would be like, oh, I, you know, I'm interested. I want to sign up for the wait list or whatnot. Yeah. Home cooking during COVID was a big hashtag. And then I think we, in a lot of ways, tried to take advantage of that because we were cooking anyways and wanting to share what we were producing, like Ali said, at home. So that definitely kind of added to our credibility and kind of showing the world that we know how to navigate around the kitchen, I guess. And (laughs) so to kind of be able to make some desserts after the fact, I think people believed, oh, hey, maybe they actually taste good, too. They don't just look good. So it basically started as like a group, a friend group food Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Who came up with the idea first? To have the Instagram. Mm-hmm. I made it in secret, Did like, <laughs> I want to say three or, yeah, three or four months after we first started doing dinners. I created it in secret because I just didn't want the girls to think that I was like, try, like we were going to try to capitalize it on it like too <laughs> early or I was trying to like make a thing out of it. But then like I shared it with them like months later and they were just like, you already have the Instagram. There are already all these photos there. And like at the time I had just gotten one of the newer iPhones that like could do the little blurry thing in the background. So that was just (laughs) loaded with pictures with the portrait mode on. That's so cute. I feel like it started kind of randomly almost like that. It wasn't your intention for it to become what it is now. And then we were just posting mostly for ourselves as like a record of like what we were, Mm -hmm. because we're cooking so much. It was a great sort of record of what we were cooking at every dinner and yeah and what we're capable of doing I use it all the time to see like oh what should I make for dinner today what have we done before like what do I have in the kitchen it's always helpful <laughs> oh I was going to mention you know since since we were posting on that Instagram you know we would repost it on our personals and I would say in a small way that's how our following grew just because it was our friends our other friends following us because of that and those friends would be like, hey, I want to come to that dinner. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really interesting to see sort of how that word of mouth, that, that form of word of mouth grew. Because by the time we did have that first post with the flyer uh, for our first dessert box, we had no idea who was going to order. We we're like, okay, you know, we have friends, we have family who live here. Maybe that's 20 people. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think I can speak for everyone when I say like we were all shocked, shocked when we sold out and I think it was like 75 boxes we sold out in like how in 24 it was l- way less I think it was like 12 eight six or eight hours everything oh. was gone and we were like 
should we try to up the ca- like the cap? And then we were thinking, <laughs> can we even physically bake more than like 80, 80 boxes per person? And it just got, got out of hand at one point, really trying to challenge that. The shock of random strangers on the internet trust us to eat things that we bake for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was not surprised that my sister ordered a box, but then I was like, I, you know, I would look at someone's Instagram handle because that's how they order. And I was like, we have no mutuals with this person. How did they find us? But more importantly, why do they trust us? I mean, it just looked that good. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't actually know how my friend saw it. Cause she's in California. So she was in California when she saw this and then she was like, you're in New York, like you have to buy this. And I was like, Oh, what is this? But I, were you guys doing like Instagram ads? Maybe that's how she saw it. No, we've never spent any money on ads. Oh, that's kind of wild though. Yeah, I think maybe someone reposted it and she saw it. I don't know because after I tried my first box, I think I've I bought two or three. But like I was reposting, you know, whenever you guys were having new boxes too. Like after I tried the first one because I really liked it. So she probably saw someone do that too. I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely been really great to kind of see the community in New York reach out to us but also even beyond like you're saying there are people have DM'd us from California from various different states around the U.S. and I think we even got like a couple people in like Hawaii and Alaska if I remember correctly and we will always just document okay like we do have some people asking us you know are we ever going to ship boxes are we ever Mm going to do desserts where they can purchase and order ahead of time, that type of thing. I'm still waiting for shipping. It's definitely a whole other logistics. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds really intense. So you mentioned earlier that the first box was 75, right? Were all the boxes 75 or did you do more later on? They ranged from around 60 to 90, depending on the difficulty of the dessert, our capacity, our nine to fives. Got it. I remember you saying that you each were in charge of like one of the desserts and then you guys all came together to kind of create the boxes. Mm -hmm. What was the dessert that you had to make and why were you assigned that? And also do you still like eating it after making so many? (laughs) For me, the most memorable one was when I had to make like 1,200 Vietnamese coffee macarons. And that was just, oh my God. I I don't like eating them to this day and looking at them kind of make me cringe. But it's like (laughs) such a cute dessert. There are some like desserts that you know will be a really great fan favorite that have a lot of hype behind them, even if like the ingredients that you use aren't the most well known. Macarons are definitely one of them. So for me, that's the most memorable. But there was a lot of wrist work and action that was required. You got a blister too, didn't you? Yeah, and I got a blister on my thumb from using yeah the the spatula and having to like do those folds, and it was really really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so we we don't like assign desserts. We the bakers themselves create the recipes or think of whatever we, we want to be, and then as a team we go through rounds of okay, what does this dessert pair with in terms of the other ideas that we've thought of? How can we tweak the recipe to make it an even better dessert? And then let's all collectively decide on what goes into the box and who's going to be baking what based on the ideas that we've brought to the table. So it's very much like a you volunteer, you sacrifice yourself to the baking and and see it through. (laughs) Yeah, there are definitely a lot of times when people were baking more than one dessert for a given box. It really just has to do with, like, to Toph's point, your capacity based on your nine to five, how much time you're willing to devote. 
But it's like if we had a theme similar to how we were doing structuring the dinners when we were only doing dinners weekly, we had like a, a chosen theme for a box and then we would kind of try to run with that theme and see what worked well and how the desserts complemented with each other. So the very first box that we did, we kind of agreed that we wanted to do not too sweet as kind of speaking to, you know, a general palette that's uh, appealing to a lot of Asian Americans. So we were really trying to concentrate on doing some desserts that had lower sugar content or sweetener content. So people definitely had to be creative in figuring out what ingredient we wanted to spotlight in the dessert, but how exactly that dessert was going to fit in the box as well. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's another part too that I wanted to mention. We would also do a test bake and then all meet up or find some way to get each other's desserts, taste them, and then sort of review them. So I thought that was such a that was such an important piece that I think I actually don't even know how we came up with that. I, I feel like we never really formalized it. It was just something that happened and it worked really well. And I'm really glad that we were able to do that because I feel like we avoided a lot of last minute issues. I mean, we had plenty of those as well, but we, we avoided <laughs> a lot by having mm -hmm. these test bakes and just, you know, sometimes they were like, this thing is way too hard. You know, there's no way I can make 70 of these, you know, let's just scrap this idea. Or maybe that flavor combination that sounded really good actually like just doesn't work out. So that was another huge part of the sort of, I guess, unintentional research and development that we've done. Nice. Yeah, scalability was a big consideration. Because otherwise, especially decorating too, it's not even just about baking. When we're trying to assemble and thinking about all the steps that we have to take to make sure that it looks really pretty and like the garnishes are all there. We definitely encountered several situations where like, it, for example, the, the mochi box in particular where like Tot and Kathy were just out there like cranking and icing all of the, the mochi cakes. And there was just like a huge mess in the kitchen and yeah. it was just a lot of of cleanup that they had to deal with afterwards. But after that, we realized, okay, we really need to take a step back to evaluate how many steps is this going to take to actually garnish and top whatever desserts that we have that we baked. Earlier when you mentioned you guys basically had to present your dish or whatever and then kind of have everyone decide, was it awkward at all? Was it just like fun because you guys are just tasting things or was it like, please don't hate my dessert? I'm just going to say Kelly... Quote, and I quote said, I love you, but that tastes like dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. We're still, we're still friends. We're still friends. I didn't take you know it what? personally. Yeah. I think, okay, when I was talking about how different it is to work with friends, I think working with friends is one thing, but working with like your really good friends or your best friends is another thing because we know each other's personalities. We know when we can be honest with each other and not have to like sugarcoat things, especially when we're all like, like we said, kind of collectively trying to make sure that we produce the best thing that we're all proud of. We definitely do a good job of being honest. At least I very much tried to do so. And it's like, hopefully well received. I remember I, one instance of like complete failure was I was like really committed to this one ingredient that I really wanted to bring to the table, like flavored berry called omija, which is Korean. And I was like, I have to find a way to incorporate this. So I like tried like three different ways to like get it to be in a dessert and all of them just like fell flat. You couldn't taste it. It was bad. It just like didn't work. And every time they, they let me down very gently, I just had to accept it. It was okay. <laughs> but I still have a pipe dream. One day it's going to work out. I'm sure it will. 
what's something that didn't make the cut that was pretty decent that we might see later. But do we, we ever do the yuzu bars? No, no but I had the same thought. Probably that. That's like always for us, I think. It's always like next on the docket. Like it's it's good. But we were like, is this wow? They're basically <laughs> like, you know, lemon bars are really popular, but we're using yuzu extract in place of a lemon. And it's very similar where there's a shortbread kind of crust and then more of that a yuzu. Is it considered like a compote on top? But I mean, that was like great, but we're always trying to, yeah, we're chasing the best thing possible to put in the box because there are a limited number of things that go in each one. So we're trying to make sure that whatever we produce is appealing to the eyes, appealing to, you know, your your taste buds. But yeah, like we said, we're, that we're really proud of doing. Yeah, I can tell that you guys definitely put a lot of attention to detail to these because, I mean, in the box, it's, well, the box itself is very beautifully wrapped, but then each individual dessert is also kind of individually wrapped, I guess, also for like logistics purposes of moving it. But then it's also very uniquely done. So like one I don't remember what it was called, but it was fried and it was in a separate wrapping than everything else. And everything else was like colorful and each thing had a different garnish. It was it was great. Maybe Yakua? Was it like a bunch of small little fried things? Yeah. Yeah. So I made that. And ba- yeah, I had basically had to fry like a lot of these like tiny little cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're flower shaped, right? They were flower shaped. And because then they had to be dipped in a honey syrup mixture it was either wrap them or get it all everywhere or get it super messy so yeah (laughs) i mean it worked because even though it's for practical purposes i think it looked really nice as well what is your favorite box that you've done so far and why was it your favorite i think my favorite i never even got to be a part of it in terms of how pretty it was the spring picnic box that was a collaboration with abby from the dusky kitchen And we use a a couple of those desserts for the pop-up. So I did get to taste some of them later on, but that was just like the prettiest box hands down. And I think it was so great that we got to collab with Abby because she's so freaking talented too. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that was my favorite as well. I agree. I think it's the most beautiful. I'm the most proud of that one. But also I think in terms of execution, it was definitely the most seamless, you know, for people that listening that don't know abby also does her own dessert boxes but she's insane she does it all herself so she knew exactly where we were coming from i felt like we all really understood each other and so kind of bringing her in to assemble the boxes as well it was like you know she had her stuff together you know they were already in covered boxes already individually wrapped and we could help her do her last minute garnishes things like that and just generally i feel like you know that there were the least amount of roadblocks I guess with that box but then again yeah you know being able to collaborate with another baker and you know we met Abby through these dessert boxes she's become a a friend through this being able to collaborate with someone else on this was just such a cool feeling because I don't think I ever would have expected that that would be a result of doing these boxes my favorite box is whichever boxes had the quay in it the condon coconut quay the girls would know. Lunar New Year. Lunar New Year. I had that one. That's my favorite dessert ever, hands down. We'll eat all of the scraps anytime you ask. So that's it. I'm partial to that. I love that. I need to learn how to make that. I bought like this little bottle of pandan extract and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Anything with coconut milk. <laughs> yeah. All you need is to have the ingredients for sure. Mm-hmm. Just be pandan lattes. That's what we do. 
Oh yeah, that's our, if you go on our Instagram page, we have a reel to make a pandan latte. Oh. So, and that's, that's, it's not, it's not baking, so it's super easy. They're delicious. Oh my gosh, our house, we use Jots. Have you guys ever heard of that? No, it's, it's basically just like a super concentrated coffee and it takes like two seconds. It's honestly like cheating with coffee because you just like get a cup, pour two tablespoons of it, and then you pour milk and ice. And like that's literally it because it's just super, super concentrated coffee flavoring. But I wonder if we could just like incorporate it together and make it like a super easy version. I feel like there's no way that could be bad. Yeah. <laughs> So I think the next thing we really wanted to touch on was like the community aspect of Bullcut Table. So are you guys 100% like a nonprofit? We're not like 501c33 registered or anything, but all the boxes that we have done, 100% of the proceeds have gone to different majority local organizations, but some other or nationwide organizations depending on like the month and the the need but we're not a net registered nonprofit. No, I was just curious cuz I was wondering how you guys chose the communities or organizations that you guys donated to and I know you mentioned it was kind of based on like time of year and kind of what was going on in the world but can you give me like an example of how that came into play? I think it was again crowdsourced amongst us so we each would come across different organizations that we thought were really really interesting or were doing really important work and we would have kind of a google doc of these are all the organizations that we want to be donating to and then we would take a look at the list and say, okay, so what is most compelling to us right now? What do we feel like? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say like some are more worthy than others. It's It was very much just a group exercise of like, okay, let's vote who's going to get the money this month. And sometimes it was heartbreaking. Like, you know, like all the organizations that we had brought to the table definitely were calling for funds in some way and we had to make that choice but I think at the end of the day we tried to make a group decision on what spoke most to us at that moment. Well it, it reminds me of our box around the holidays. I think we named that one Home for the Holidays and I think we had thought about donating to a hunger-based organization but then decided to use the funds from that box to buy groceries to put in our local community fridges. So I wouldn't, I mean, I, I think you can do that any time of year, but, you know, around the holidays, it felt especially apt to, to donate in that sense. For this next portion, we're going to focus more on you guys personally and maybe your relationships with food, like throughout your life. Like when did you start really considering yourself like a chef or a baker or a cook? I don't think I consider myself a baker or a cook. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just completely... It's, I don't know. It's just really funny that we ended up somehow here. I guess it's You're just perpetual. a project manager. Perpetual <laughs> imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, it's some of the shout outs that we've received from people in the food industry that we really respect and we whose careers we closely follow. It's just been such a whirlwind that like we as a group of just like eight girls, we're not professionally trained by any means. We just have a shared love of food and at times sweets that we're deserving of all this praise, especially from these like really notable people. But Priya Krishna. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, Priya Krishna for sure. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it's been awesome. It's been crazy. I know we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but can we maybe expand a little bit more on how you guys all met? Kind of how did this get started? 
Kelly, I feel like this is you. <laughs> the reasons, oh, so the reason she says that this is probably me is because I, I guess in some ways I'm like connecting point between a lot of the girls and the group. So I want to say like four of us, me, Allie, Justine, and June, we were really close in undergrad. We all um, attended Barnard College, Women's College, attached to Columbia University. Justine and I were freshman year roommates, and Allie and June met at Admitted Students Day, and the four of us became really close in college. Uh, Justine also was very close with Rachel. They both majored in architecture. And then I am friends with Sophia from college as well, but it's funny because Sophia actually went to high school with Tot, and Tot and I know each other because we are childhood friends. We met when we were two and three years old. We went to Gymboree <laughs> together, and we were the only, you know, Asian kids in the class. And naturally, we wanted to do playdates, and she was my childhood best friend. And Kathy joined the group a little bit later, but I worked with Kathy, and then Kathy just very naturally integrated with all of the girls and she ended up rooming with Tot. Yeah. Yeah. She was my first roommate in New York City. Yeah. Aww. So in a lot of ways, we're like connected to each other in a cyclical way because it's like we have like one connection point, but then there are like other ways in which we know each other because Tot and Soph, like we're good friends in, in high school and middle school as well. But I think food has been a really big connector. Not all of us really are excellent cooks, I would say. I very much would not consider myself like a chef or a baker by any <laughs> means. And there are definitely... I would disagree, Kelly. You know, I like to say I was I was really into like crafts and DIY stuff growing up. So when I make like a, a baked good or like a follow recipe, I'm always just like, I'm I'm doing a project. To me, it's like, yes, it's edible at the end, but it's never like, I really know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of like following directions, which I love love following directions (laughs) but yeah there are some girls who are just like naturally talented cooks naturally talented creatives and I think in a lot of ways that's allowed us to come together and and kind of share in a mutual craft project so to speak I think one note on like just how we know each other because we've all known each other in different phases or stages of our life it almost feels like we've seen each other's traumas of growing up Asian in a really white society and then we've seen kind of the different stages where we come to self-acceptance and like like self-celebration almost and it's like through all of these different connections and like being friends with all eight of us it's like we get to kind of it's like a path that we share together and we're kind of picking up in different areas but we're all walking together and that's kind of how I think about this group that's so sweet I love that because I can definitely relate as well like with my own friend group and like kind of how we operate here in ER because we're just like little Asian girls figuring things out <laughs> exactly. and it's so much easier with there are other Asian girls who understand yeah and definitely like, living in New York is not easy and you know I, I think not for some of us New York is home but not everybody and so I think also you know us coming together at Alley's every Tuesday that really was home and we figured out so much of fresh post-grad young adulthood together and yeah, we got like, we learned how to cook together. But I think in addition to that, we were just trying to figure out life. We would talk about personal finance, talk about our careers. We talk about gossip, we talk about men, you know, <laughs> everything. But I feel like coming together over food kind of allowed all of us to realize, you know, we're in it together. And as difficult as life can get, we'll always have each other to get through it together. 
That definitely reminds me of my friend group here as well, because we're actually all not from New York. I think we're all transplants, actually. Yeah. So we learned how to New York together almost. And then being here and I think food was a big way that we also got, I mean, in a different way than you guys, but was something that brought us together. And whether it was literally just like, oh, let's try out that new restaurant or let's do like a hot pot night for Thanksgiving. Food was one of the main reasons why we would come together and like you said, have those conversations and get to know each other better. And then like essentially grow up together, right? Because I think we're all in our early slash mid 20s. I don't know how old you guys are, but yeah, I, I think it's very similar. I mean, I attribute a lot of my growth as an adult to these girls from starting in college. Like, I grew up in Chicago and then went to school in New York and Kelly, June, Justine, and then later meeting Soph. Like, they were all a part of that growth for me. And then later having all of the other girls, they just were a part of my young adult life and were my family away from home. and. I don't know what I'd do without them. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely been through a lot of life with each other. And if not for these girls, you know, I think would be a lot less emotionally stable than I am. Yeah, but they're, they truly are my best friends. And beyond that, they definitely feel like sisters. I mean, I do have a biological sister, so not to shade her at all, but they really do feel like an extension of my my very close family. And I think those relationships will kind of extend beyond location differences. I know like Ali is in Chicago now and, and June's actually in South Korea, but we all kind of make it work and we make time for each other. And I think doing so over meals is a great way for us to kind of sit down and calm down and just like enjoying each other's company. Yeah, it's funny. It's like as we were talking, it really reminded me of like that quintessential Asian dynamic of you never verbalize like, oh, I love you. You know, with other friends, you're like, I love you. Bye. With these friends, it's it's ne we never say those kinds of things. It's very much <laughs> like, here's this bowl of really hot soup that we just made for you. And please sit down and eat this. And like, that's how we express our feelings. And I love that it's so Asian. I never realized it until now. All right. I know we're wrapping up. But before we hop off, I just wanted to ask, so like, what's next? What do you guys kind of have on the horizon? Like, is it nothing, which is also perfectly fine, you know, given the state of the world? What are you guys thinking of in terms of next steps? I think for right now, well, I'll start by saying we started doing dessert boxes, not knowing where it would take us. So we were kind of just along for the ride. And then next thing you know, we did a pop up. And then after we did the pop up, we were like, whoa. This has been just so much mental and physical work that we really needed to rest and just also remember each other as friends, you know, like it, it was starting to feel like work. So we did make a collective decision to just put bulk cut table on pause, but with the intention that we all still have this shared love and we still want to continue to share food in some way. But I think for right now, we're still figuring out what exactly that looks like. And again, with the state of the world, that makes it very difficult because I think we would have initially returned to throwing dinner parties like we had intended. But of course, the state of COVID makes that difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're excited. We really still want to kind of share our, our food with people even beyond just doing desserts. It's funny because I don't think any of us, all eight of us would say like we're not really dessert people. 
which is actually funny because like we've just been concentrating on desserts for like the last year and a half or so but we're not like sweets people even if we cut the sugar as much as we can I think all of us are really just keen on doing the savory stuff and wanting to share and just expose people to some of the the meatier dishes that are a part of each of our respective cultures so I think that's the hope for the future that will come into circumstances that allow us to do so. I think that's totally normal. And I'm excited to see, you know, like if if anything changes, if you guys want to bring it back, I would be first in line to support you guys. So, yeah, but thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. It was really great having you guys here today. And of course, like, let's stay in touch. We would love to meet all of you guys in person one day once for sure. things are better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm- well, thank you for having us. I'm so honored that you reached out and wanted to yeah. feature us. It's this was really great. I'm I'm really glad we were able to have this conversation. Of course. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you again to Book on Table for being on today's episode. I love chatting with you guys and learning more about your dessert boxes and your overall relationship as, you know, young Asian American girlfriends in the city. I really resonated with their story and how they started Bullcut Table. It really does remind me of my own friends and our story of starting Asian Globe. So thank you again. If you'd like to learn more about Bullcut Table, check them out on Instagram at Bullcut Table. And of course, go ahead and give us a follow as well at Asian Globe Pod on Instagram. I'll talk to you soon.